James chapter number one. Now we do have some little cards in the back. I'll give a quick commercial here. Uh, some little cards in the back. I hope that you'll pick one up and put it on your fridge so it reminds you and then pick a few more up that you can pass out to people that you come in contact with, that you meet, and that you get to know. We're going to be having our Community Sunday here in just a, a few weeks, just a couple Weird. weeks, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll say more about that at the end of the service, but I do hope you'll pick some of those up on your way out. Don't forget about them. You say, Kyle, mm-hmm. why are you giving an announcement now and then you're going to give an announcement later? Because I really, really, really want you to remember, okay? And so uh, make sure that you grab one of those uh, before you head out this morning. James chapter number one is where we're going to be one final time. We've been working our way through uh, the first chapter of James, and I have so enjoyed this study as we've been walking through verse by verse through this incredible book of the Bible, and now we find our way in the last verse of the first chapter. And uh, we've taken some time to get here, um, but uh, it's, it's sure been a blessing and encouragement to me. We're going to le- read for context. We're going to read verses 26 and verse number 27, and uh, we'll read these in the last. We'll pray afterwards, ask the Lord to help us, and uh, dive into this together. Let's look at verse number 26. The Bible says this, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning and then today we're going to talk. Last week we talked about what real religion is not. Today we're going to talk about what real religion is. I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together, to be able to open your word for a few moments, and God, to be able to study it together. I pray now that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would already, Lord, have our hearts be tender and soft and ready to receive your word. I pray, Lord, for those that are present in person, those that are watching online. I pray for each person, God, that your word would be able to clearly be presented and find good soil in our hearts and, Lord, be able to plant deeply, Lord, so that good fruit can come forth. Lord, I I am so thankful that you've given me this privilege. I pray now that you'd help me to be able to... um, Lord, just be completely filled with your spirit. Only say those things that you want me to say. And God, I I want to honor you in all the things that are done this morning. I pray, God, that's exactly what would happen. And Father, I look forward to just glorifying you even throughout our day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we mentioned last week, we saw uh, what real religion is not. We, we talked about how in verse number 26 that, that real religion is not just being in the right place. I mean, thank God that you came to church this morning, but uh, unfortunately, that's not what real religion is. Now, is that an outflow of what real religion is? Sure, but that just being simply in the right place is not the answer to what real religion would be. That, nor is real religion saying all the right words, all right? We can fall into the trap of, well, if I'm in the right place, saying the right things, then, then that's got to be good enough. And yet, so many times we fall into this trap of, of just doing the things, giving the appearance of what real religion, what we might call it, is, when the reality is, is we're doing what the Bible says, deceiving ourselves. Deceiving ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being deceived, and I really don't want to deceive 
myself. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago about looking, and the Bible says here in James about beholding our face in a glass, looking in a mirror and things like that. And it can be so easy to, to look in a mirror. And, and as men, we like to deceive ourselves, right? You know, we, we like to look in the mirror and say, oh man, things look pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, I look about the same as I did when I was like 20 years old, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's what we tell ourselves. Now, the, the, you step on the scale and it tells a different message, but, uh, you know, numbers are just relative, right? And so, you know, it's, uh, oh, that, that's what we like to tell ourselves. We're, we're deceiving ourselves. Listen, it's not good to deceive ourselves physically, and it's certainly not good to deceive ourselves spiritually. And when it comes to this matter of real religion, it can be so easy to deceive ourselves just simply because we're in the right place saying the right words, but doing it with the wrong heart. A heart that's a million miles away from where it ought to be. So if that's what real religion is not, well then today we're going to see what real religion is. What real religion is. And we find that in verse number 27. The Bible begins with this. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Now before we get into uh, the, 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 the illustration, the examples that, that, that James gives for us, I love how he begins this. He, he says, first of all, in verse number 26, he said, this is what real, real religion is not. And then in verse number 27, he just jumps right in. He says, let me tell you what real religion is. He says, this is, this is the purest form of religion. And, and then he says this, 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 this type of religion, he says, it's undefiled undefiled. I I love what he says there. That word undefiled is only found four times in the scriptures. Four times. Uh, Once here in in James, once in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number four, referring to uh, marriage, the marriage bed being undefiled. He he uses it again in in 1 Peter chapter number one, verse number four, when he talks about the purity of our salvation, that it's undefiled. But I love Hebrews chapter number seven. Because this is probably my favorite, my favorite example of this word undefiled. In, in Hebrews 7.26, the Bible says this, For such a high priest became us, okay, came, came to us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, it said, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. You know who this is describing? Jesus. Jesus. This word, when it says undefiled, is a descriptor of the, the, the high priest, Jesus Christ, James then describes this type of religion with the same, the same descriptive word that's used to distra- describe our perfect Christ. I don't know about, know about you, but listen, I want that type of religion. I, I want a religion, I, I, I want the purest, the most undefiled type of religion. The, the, the type of religion that, that's used to describe, the same word used to describe our, our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the type of religion that I want. A pure religion that's undefiled. And as we've seen through these last couple of weeks, listen, action is the key. But as we saw last week, action from the right heart is even more important. And if we're going to have this real religion, as we talked about last week, that word religion, worship. If we're going to have that real religion, that real worship, that pure, that undefiled religion, James gives two practical examples to us of exactly how to do that and exactly what it looks like. He says this, first of all, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their Affliction. 
Now, it's easy for us to read that and to, to, to simply think that it's just a box that we have to check. And the truth is, is throughout the Scriptures, God has a heart for the orphans and the widows uh, that all throughout the Word of God. I mean, He does. And, and In fact, uh, the, the word here, whenever it says the fatherless, the Greek word there is the word that we get our word orphan from. He, he tells us we're supposed to take care of them and their affliction and their suffering and their, their turmoil, the things that they are facing. In Isaiah 117, the Bible says this, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widows. Whenever He says judge the fatherless, what He literally means there is contend for them. It has the idea of of going to court on behalf of them, standing on their behalf, standing up for them. That's what what God has commanded us to do. In Deuteronomy 10, verse number 18, he says, He had to execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow, loveth the stranger, and giving him food and raiment. In Psalm 82, verse number 3, he says, Defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice the afflicted and the needing in psalm 68 verse number five he says that he's a father of the fatherless a judge or or one that stands on behalf of the widows is god in his holy habitation friend in the times of scripture understand this that that women had very little if any rights and were perceived as little more than property to be possessed say i don't like that kyle well we, we have a way in our world today of trying to rewrite what history has always actually been. You know what actually, uh, you know, the reality of history. And, and listen, I'm just telling that was the reality of history. That's what it was during the times of Scripture. Now, Jesus didn't treat women that way. But society did. That was just the world. That was just what it was. Their only advocate, a woman's only advocate would have been that of her husband. So for a woman to be a widow was truly to be in a hopeless position. Nobody to to go on behalf of them. No one to stand in their place for them. A child in that day and age had no legal rights. And boys weren't even recognized until they were recognized as men. God, in one of the greatest examples of love to us, tells us that he desires to be called Father. Father. Friend, there's no question that it's the duty of the church to take care of the widows and the fatherless. One of the greatest failures in our 21st century Christian Christianity, 21st century churches, is the confusion of what ministry really is. We've fallen into the trap of believing that it's a bunch of things that we do in service and in a service and during a service and things like that. And we've neglected the taking care of the needs of the most needful. This is a vital part of the ministry of the church. In fact, that is one of the premier ministries of the church is taking care of the needy. And as Jane points out, the fatherless and the widows, those that on that society were the most needful, the ones that were the most needy, the ones that needed the most help. And he said, listen, church, one of the things that you need to do is make sure you're taking care of those that are in great need. Now understand, we're not talking about people that are looking for handouts that aren't willing to help themselves, okay? We live in a society that's just, let's just be honest, it's just lazy. Just lazy. And listen, that may step on some people's toes, it might hurt some people's feelings, but listen, God, Jesus was not for socialism. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? 
He wasn't, wasn't for just, just simply just handing out people, handi- giving handouts to people that weren't willing to, to try to help themselves. You understand what he was saying here was, listen, there are people that truly have needs. And in that society, it was the fatherless and the widows that, that had no advocate for themselves. And he said, listen, church, it is your job to take care of them. God help Whitehall Baptist Church to be a place that fulfills the job, fulfills the duty that God has given to us to do. And while taking care of the widows and orphans is clearly part of what real religion is, what James is not doing here is just simply giving a a box that we can check off. He's not just saying, listen, if you do these two things, then listen, that's all you have to do. No, that's not what he's, that's not what he was, what the heart that he was getting out here, okay? Understand where he's going. What James was illustrating was the need for selflessness. Selflessness. See, serving the widows and the fatherless in James' day, especially in James' day, was a thankless service, at least material, materially. It was helping people that were not going to be able to give anything in return. So many times we we treat ministry as something that is transactional. Yes, I will do that as long as I get something in return. You understand some of the greatest, truly the greatest acts of of ministry, the greatest acts of, of religion, real religion, pure religion that's undefiled. You know what it is? It's acts of selflessness, acts that maybe nobody will ever see, acts that that honestly may never be reciprocated see it's easy to go and to do things for people when we know that we're going to get something in return that we might get a pat on the back that somebody's going to come around along and say good job but whenever you're talking about those that listen are in need and maybe they they're never going to be able to give anything back in return listen that's real religion that's pure religion that's what the church should be doing and we're not talking about the church corporately we're talking about the church individually this isn't just something that should be carried out as a church altogether. Yes, the church should be doing that altogether. But listen, individually as the church, we should be looking to meet the needs and help those that are hurting and that are in need. That cannot help themselves. Growing up, uh, uh, every Saturday whenever I was a teenager, we would go out and we would knock on the doors and invite little kids to church. I remember there in Bloomington, Indiana, we, we would go up to the, to the heights and, and, and some different places there. There were some, some apartment buildings and things like that. And it was, you'd go up there, and, and, and it, 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 times have changed a little bit. But I mean, dur- during that time, even, even in that day, uh, it, you, you'd walk out there, and there would be kids everywhere. I mean, just, just all over the place playing and things like that. And listen, we're not talking like this was the good part of town, okay? I mean, like it, I mean they, just, they were all over the place. And, and you'd go and, and you were kind of trying to be careful, but you say, hey, you know, we want to invite you to church. Can we talk to your parents? Yeah, let me take you to, to my house. And we would walk blocks many times to, to get back to where their home was. And, and you knock on the door and, and the door was already open and, and inside you saw their living situation that they came from. And can I tell you what, what honestly what you saw? You saw pff, hopelessness. You saw kids that were coming from a place that, I mean, let's just, they just didn't have a chance. We tell these kids, we, we tell them, hey, listen, 
if, you, if, you can, if we can talk to your parents, and, and listen, if, if you want to, we'd love to come and pick you up on our church bus, and we'll give you some candy. We want to take you to church. I'm t- the next morning, we'd show up there, and, and some of them, we'd pick up before 7 a.m. We'd knock on their door. And those kids would come out ready to go many times, many times. Their parents would still be asleep in the other room from a binge the night before. I remember two little girls, Angel and Jessica, they rode my church bus for years. The only time we ever met their parents was the first time we signed them up. You never saw them. They never were around. And Angel and Jessica, from the time they were in like fifth or sixth grade until they graduated from high school, came to church with us. They rode the bus every Sunday. They'd get up, they would dress themselves in the best that they could find, and they'd come to church. Listen, I'm thankful for that time. Why? Because that was real religion. That was pure religion. We get so consumed with this glitz and glamour and and making everything look just so pretty. But sometimes we're just doing the James 126 religion. It's all for the show. Oh Lord, help us to have real selfless religion. See how sad it is that most churches today have no idea what real religion is. They don't know what it is to demonstrate real worship. The greatest servants are those who serve in capacities that will never be seen, recognized, or reimbursed. To give yourself with no expectation of any return. To serve knowing the only one who knows is the Heavenly Father. Now when's the last time that you you did that? To serve in such a way that would cost you something. And you'd receive nothing materially for it. That is real religion. You know, I love to read about the miracles of Christ in the scriptures. I, I, I mean, like, you, you can't help it. Every, everybody loves to read about what, when Christ goes and, he, and he, 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 he helps a blind man to be able to see. It's, it's awesome. Oh, when, when Jesus is, comes along and, and maybe there's somebody that's never walked before and, and, and he helps them to, 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 to walk for the first time in their life. I mean, what a miracle that is. And, and, and we love to, to sit along the shore when Jesus is there with the 5,000 men besides women and children and he takes out those, that bread and, and those fish from that little boy and he does the miracle and feeds the 5,000. I mean, what a miracle that is. It's awesome. It really is. But can I share with you one of my, what I think is one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible? I really do. I think, I think that these two verses are, are some of the coolest verses. In John chapter number 21, the very last two verses, the Bible says this is in John 21, verses 24 and 25. It says this, this is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Okay, John says, listen, what I'm telling you is, is the gospel. I mean, what I'm telling you is, is the truth. This is what he says. There are also many things which Jesus did, The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself, could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. This is so cool. Do you you realize that this isn't the whole story of Jesus? 
Like, this is mind-blowing. Now, listen, this is everything that we need, okay? This is everything that we need. We don't need any more, okay? That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm telling you is there are other things that Jesus did. In fact, John says there are so many things that Jesus did, so many miracles, so many acts of service, so many works that he did, that the, the world wouldn't even be able to contain the volumes if we tried to write them all down. I mean, that's just incredible. I, I, I just wonder, one day we would get to heaven if we can't just have like a binging, you know, light, you know, stream of uh, all the miracles that we didn't get to see, okay? I mean, I just wonder. I mean, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool. There's a lot that I want to see from the Bible, but there's some that it's like, man, nobody's even, nobody even knows this happened. This is so cool. I mean, like stories that, that aren't even contained in the scriptures that one day we can sit down and, and maybe we can get to watch. I, I don't know. You, you know what Jesus is? Jesus Christ is the, is the greatest example of selfless service. You understand this book could have been a whole lot bigger. <laughs> Aren't you thankful? You had a hard time getting through your devotions with this, okay? I mean, it could, have been, it could have been so much bigger. It could have been volumes more. But there's a lot that Jesus did that he said, you know what? You don't need to put that in there. Nobody else needs to know. That miracle, I know it was incredible. I mean, like, can you imagine being the disciples? I mean, be like, oh, I just want to write everything down. John's like, I just want to tell everybody about it. But everything that you did, and Jesus said, you know, that's important, but I don't think that's something that, that's needed. It's not necessary. It might just be too much. We'll leave that part out. John's sitting there going, oh, I just wish that I could write about that. There's so many things I wish I could say, but if I wrote them all down, the world couldn't even contain the books. And Jesus says, yeah, you don't You don't need to write that down. You don't know why? Because Jesus was the greatest example of selfless service. And the truth is this. Most of us are too worried about making sure our book contains enough of our stories to be anything like Christ. We spend a lot of our life going around, hey, did you read this chapter in my book? (laughs) Did you hear about what I did? I want to make sure that everybody knows, what, what do we do? I mean, t- I, we, we live in the day, day and age, listen, it has nothing to do with the book. It's all social media, okay? I, I mean, like, we, we know we are so important that we need to make sure that everybody knows what we had for breakfast this morning. I mean, that's just, that's the world that we live in today, isn't it? I mean, we want everybody to know about everything that, that we do. When's the last time that, that you did something that truly was just selfless? Because we're so self-consumed The truth is, is most Christians know nothing about pure and undefiled religion and worship. Can you hear the words of James from the final verse of this first chapter and discover what real religion is? See, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. He says, listen, if you really want to know what real religion is, it's helping those that can't help themselves. It's doing something where you get nothing in return. It's living a life that is selfless before God. Is it any wonder that James, when he started this book, said, listen, if there's one thing that I want you to know about me, it's that my name's James and I'm a servant. Of God, the Father, my Lord, Jesus Christ. Because James knew what real religion was. See, real religion, real real religion is first selfless. 
But then he tells us this, real religion is second. And listen, I, I love that. You guys got to love me as a preacher. I almost always only have two points, okay? I mean, like, come on. I mean, like, I'm not even a good Baptist here, okay? Listen, two, two points, all right? Selfless. But then he says this, real religion is, is secondly, it's spotless. Look at what he says. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the Father, listen to the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There's a, there's a little creature, a little animal called an, an ermine. It's just a small little creature. It's, it's about the size of a squirrel. And, and this little animal, this ermine, it, it lives in cold climates, uh, very cold climates. In the summer months, in the fall, and spring, and things like that, it will have a brown coat. But when wintertime comes and the snow falls, its coat will turn to this beautiful white color. I was looking at some pictures of them just yesterday. They're, they're, I mean, it's just, just pure white coat with a little black tail. I mean, just a little, little bitty black tail on the very end of it. It looks like it was dipped in some paint or something. I mean, just, just this little, but the, but the rest of its coat is pure white with little black beady eyes. I mean, that's, that's what, it, what it looks like. To me, it, it kind of looks like a little weasel or something. I don't know. But, uh, but I mean, you look at it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the purest white. And, and this, this little ermine, this little animal it's sought after because of its white coat. It's, it's highly sought after, actually. It's, it's, worth, it's very valuable, and, and it's sought after because of the purity of the whiteness of its coat and because of the softness of its fur. To catch these animals, the hunter will wait until the ermine exits from the hole in the ground that it lives in. They'll go and they will coat the edge of that that hole with, with mud and with some muck, some dirt and, and things like that, really just some slime, really make it nasty around the hole of that, that ermine's home. And then they will set their dogs loose to, to track this animal. And, and the animal, this, this ermine, it will run back and forth all over the place trying to escape from, from these, these dogs until finally the, the chase comes to an end. Well, it will finally make its way back to its hole. But when it reaches the hole and it sees the muck, it sees the mud, it sees the slime that coats around the entry to that hole, it will stop. And rather than defiling its beautiful white fur, it will turn and face those dogs that are chasing after it. It will literally give its life rather than defile its white Spotless fur. James says that pure religion, pure worship, desires to be selfless, but also pursues being spotless. 1 Peter chapter number 1 verses 15 and 16 says this, But as he which, which hath called you is holy, so be ye Holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. In Leviticus 20, verse number 7, he says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. The attribute of God that's mentioned more than any other attribute is that of His holiness. And God says, Be ye holy like me. Spotless. Perfect, a coat of white, if you will. 
Paul describes how the church should, should be seen and, and how the church should look. And, and in Ephesians chapter number 5, in verse number 26, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of the water. How? By the word that he might present to himself a glorious church. Listen, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. John gives that familiar challenge in 1 John chapter number 2. Verse number 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Listen, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. James here is saying, if you're going to truly have a pure, undefiled religion, one that smells of the testimony and reputation of Christ, he says then you need to strive to keep yourself unspotted by the world to guard yourself to guard your heart just like the ermine sometimes keeping yourself unspotted might mean fighting for it and it could cost you something Proverbs 4 verse 23 says keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues You know, Matthew, Matthew's gospel records for us Jesus' command in Matthew chapter number 5. And then we teach our kids the song. They, they like to sing the song. But in Matthew 5 verse number 14 it says, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And he giveth light unto all that are in the house. He says this, Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And what are they, what's that going to do? It's going to glorify your Father which is in heaven. I've often heard preachers and people say that the darker the night, the brighter the light. It's kind of a cliche statement. But, but I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the darker that the night is, the brighter the light should be. But why does it seem that the light of the church isn't shining any brighter? Why does it seem that, that Christians today aren't shining any brighter than, than, than what they have in past centuries? Or I would say even less than what they have in past centuries. I've been reading a book here recently that's going through and talks about some of the different martyrs down through history. And how many of them gave their very lives, burned at the stake uh, because of their stands for the Lord. Hey, what has happened? We live in a world today where we sit and we say, man, we're really suffering a lot of persecution. We have no idea what persecution is here in America. No clue whatsoever. Why is it that the light doesn't seem any brighter? Well, could it be that the light is still just as bright, but the bulb has just gotten dirty? A few weeks back, uh, well, actually, it was, yeah, it was about the middle of summer. We were, we were kind of in the middle of the summer, really hot, and uh, the, the AC in our van... <laughs> wasn't working very well it just it wasn't and so uh 
you know, I, I'm, you know, what I've learned, okay, and, and some of you will, will sympathize, will understand this, okay, when you don't have money, you learn how to do lots of things, okay, so I've become a mechanic, okay, over the years, all right, and, uh, and so I needed, I need, we were trying to figure out why, why it wasn't blowing air, and I'm trying all different things, and, and I'm charging the AC, and it just wasn't working, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on with this, this dumb van, I just thought, man, the, the, the AC's just broken, I mean, that's kind of what I told her, we went through most of the summer, and like, you know, it was like 97 degrees in our van at all times. It was just like, you know, and, uh, and finally the day came. I was like, you know what? Let me check one more thing. And uh, the way our van was, it was, it was down underneath the, the, the jockey box or whatever you call it. They opened it up and, and back inside of there, there was, there was the filter, the cabin filter for our van. And, and I grabbed that thing and when I pulled it out. Let's just say it was dirty, okay? You know, it was, it was very, let's, it, the truth is, is it's never been changed, okay? And so it was very dirty. I took that thing into our, you know, I wasn't going to spend money buying a new one, of course, you know, but I, I took it into our garage and I, I grabbed the air compressor and I started blowing that thing with air. And I, I mean, the garage filled with, with dust and dirt. I mean, it was just everywhere. I flipped it over and blew it out the other side. I mean, it just, stuff just kept coming out and coming out and I just kept spraying and it just kept coming out and coming out. And, uh, and I mean, I, I kept doing that for, for probably about 10, 15 minutes. I just sat there and just kept spraying that thing, spraying that thing, spraying that thing. And, and, and I mean, finally, after I did that, I looked at it. It's like, you know, it's, it's still kind of brown, but it's, it's got to be better than it was before. And, and I took it back, and I put that thing back into our van. And when I started and turned on the AC, it was a miracle. I mean, it was like suddenly a, a, a very brisk wind was blowing out of the vents of our, of our van. I, I found out that it had nothing to do with the, with the air that was blowing. It wasn't a problem with the compressor. It wasn't a problem with the fan. It wasn't a problem with it. All the problem was was the filter was clogged. The filter was dirty. I mean, it was such a simple, simple fix. But, but I took you know, half the summer and, and my wife you know, uh, carefully um, nagging at me about it to, to finally get to that place where I finally blew the dirt out of the filter. And you know what we're supposed to be? You understand that we aren't the light? Now listen, the, the light shines out of us, but listen, we, we aren't the light. We're reflections of the light of Christ. We're conduits of the Holy Spirit. You know what I think the problem is? It's not that the light has stopped shining. No, 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 listen. The, the world's as dark as it's ever been. The light's still as bright as what it's always been. But the bulb's gotten dirty. And I say it this way, the filter needs cleaned. Because while the Holy Spirit desires to flow through you and through me, there's a lot of stuff that's gotten it clogged, that's gotten in the way. We've gotten so covered in dirt, the dirt of the world, that the light of Christ has grown dim. Friend, it's time for the church to stop playing the religion game like we saw last week. To clean the filter of our life so that real religion, pure and undefiled, can flow through. See, James stops beating around the bush. J- James was, was, was way rougher on you guys than what I was, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you. I mean, James, you get to James chapter number 4, and James is just like, you know what? I'm done with this, okay? And in verse number 8, he says this, Draw nigh to God, and, draw, and he will draw nigh to you. And he says this, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, 
Purify your hearts, you double-minded. How would you like it if I said that to you? You wouldn't like it very much, okay? Yeah, I'm a nice guy. James, I mean, he just he starts beating around the bush. He says, you're a bunch of sinners. Cleanse your hearts. Cleanse your hands. Get things right. Stop messing around. That's what he does. Hey, can I say it nicely this morning? Cleanse your hands, you bunch of sinners. <laughs> hey, wash the filter. You see, it's more than just words. It's more than just being in the right place. Real religion, real worship is selfless and it's spotless. And it's time that we as Christians stop treating being in the world but not of the world as more than just a cliche phrase. Say, Kyle, are you talking about the way that I dress? No, no, but it'll be part of it. Kyle, are you talking about the way that I talk? Well, I mean, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, okay? You know, last week. But no, that's not what I'm saying. But, but listen, it'll be part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of it. So you're talking about the, the places that I go, the people that I'm with, the things that I put in my body. Is that what you're pointing to? Well, no, I'm not talking about those specifically. But what I'm saying is all of those things have a way of clogging the filter of our life. They have a way of, 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 of spotting the fur that God desires for us to have. They have a way of clouding and, and blocking the light that's supposed to shine out of our life. You see, we as preachers, myself, and probably preachers that you've listened to through your whole life, we've failed the church for so long because we've tried to clean up the outside without dealing with the real problem. And when God gets a hold of your heart, understand this, the Spirit takes care of all those outside things. So you say, Kyle, is it what I drink? Is it what I eat? Is it what I, where I go? Is it the things that I say? Yes, but no. Kyle, is it, is, it, is, it, is it the people that I'm with and, and is it the, the thoughts that I think and is it the, the, the words that come out of my mouth? Yes, it's those things, but no, it's not that. No, 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 listen. Pure religion and undefiled, you know what is it? It's selfless and it's spotless in here. Keeping yourself unspotted from the world. That's why John said, Love, not the world. Because he knew it wasn't a matter of the outside stuff. Listen, I can preach about the outward things all day long, and you can sit there and say, well, I'm not doing that, or I am doing that, and I'm not listening to you. Listen, that's not what, that's not what he's focusing on. No, no, what he's focusing on is, is this right here. Because this is where real religion flows out of. Not the outward things. Those are all results of real religion. Pure religion. Undefiled before God and the Father. Maybe this morning, as a Christian, say, I want this real religion. I want this pure religion. Maybe you need to ask God to help you stop putting yourself on the throne of your life. Stop being selfish and ask God to make you selfless. You need to ask God to clean your heart. Help you remain unspotted from the world so that God can use you. And when the dogs of the world come barking, determine, listen, there's some things that are worth remaining unspotted for.
There's some things that are worth keeping the coat of Christ clean. It'd be better to shine the light brightly than to dirty it with the sin of this world. See, the purpose of your life is not to rejoice in your salvation. That's not it. It's to point others to Christ. Once you get saved, yes, we can rejoice in our salvation, and I hope that you do, but listen. He leaves you on this earth for a purpose. And it's to point others to Jesus. And how sad it is that so many times we as Christians accept Christ as our Savior. We get that settled. You know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't, I hope that you'll get that settled today. But you know that you're on your way to heaven. And then you spend the rest of your life just dirty in the bulb. And the purpose of your life is to shine your light so that others can see him and receive him as their savior. See, how are we going to shine the light when the bulb is covered in filth? God help us, Whitehall Baptist Church, to get cleaned up so that he can use your light to truly be the light of the world that he intended for you to be. And may God help Whitehall Baptist Church to be a place of real religion, real worship. May we be a group of believers that aren't just playing the religion game, but we live that life of selfless, spotless, real religion. That's what God desires for us. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. As we finish our service this morning, maybe you, like I, need to take a few moments and just ask the Lord to examine your heart. You say, you know what, there's some things in my life that, just be honest, I've just not been, I've not been selfless. My life has been pretty selfish. God spoke to my heart this morning, and I need to ask the Lord to help me Because I want to be selfless. I want God to be able to use my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, there's some areas in my life that that I've allowed to get dirty. (laughs) The light's not shining like it should. And and God spoke to me this morning and I want to be spotless for Him so that He can use my my vessel, my life for His, His glory. As Christians, we ought constantly be growing. We ought constantly becoming more like Christ. As soon as we think we've arrived, you can mark it down. There's something in there, something in the way. So I hope this morning that you'll spend a few moments of reflection with the Lord and allow him to point out those areas of our life, of your life, that need to be made right with him. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together. The music's going to play. And if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is